Thank you, Lisa. And I want to express my thanks to Pastor Rick for giving me the opportunity to share this glorious psalm with you this morning in the series of Poetry and Parables. Um, I don't remember how long ago the email went out asking if we would have this Sunday available, but um, I responded right away that I'd like to preach from Psalm 34. And uh, he said yes, and so unlike my history where I had to preach you know, 50 Sundays out of the year, Sunday after Sunday. I had weeks to prepare this. So it's 9.38 on the clock up there, and I've got two hours of stuff. <laughs> no, I don't really. That's not true. You've already heard this morning from Pastor Rick what he preached on last Sunday. And as he was sharing that, I was thinking about the message this morning. I'm like, yes, that... God wants us to get to know him. He's a God who communicates to us. He communicated to us through creation. Communicated to us through the written word of God so that we could get to know him. And ultimately, as Rick concluded the message last week, he sent Jesus Christ into this world to be the exact expression of who God is to us so that we would get to know him. He wants us to have an up-close, personal relationship with Him. He wants to walk with us and talk with us and fellowship with us. The Scriptures describe our relationship as father-child. He wants us to understand who He is and, and what He's all about. While we were on our 5,800-mile journey from July 17th until we got back a couple weeks ago. I wanted to do something to, to fill in that eight-hour span of time, and so I downloaded a sermon from Pastor Mickey Klink. Some of you might know him as professor at Biola Talbot. Um, he has left the school to become the senior pastor and do the preaching at Hope Evangelical Free Church in Roscoe, Illinois, where I left to retire and come here. I never had the chance to hear him preach. I thought that would really be great. So I found this sermon that really, the title alone enticed me to want to listen to it. The title was, The God of the Bible is Bigger Than Your God. So we're listening to him expound about this amazing God that I get to preach about today. And as we were driving, I looked down at, we were driving Sherry's RAV, and the console has the, the, the name of what we're listening to, and, and I just bursted out laughing, because on the screen it said, the God of the Bible is bigger than Hope Evangelical Free Church. <laughs> and I thought, well, that's for sure. Well, I want you to know the God of the Bible is bigger than Christ Community Church, too. He's a great big God, and he wants us to understand him as he's revealed himself, but he wants us to also know, as we find in Isaiah 55, that his ways, his thoughts, his actions are infinitely above and beyond ours. So we're not going to fully comprehend him. We're not going to totally grasp God's plans and purposes and his will 
for the world, for our church, for our lives. But he's told us enough. He's given us enough to know who he is and what he wants to do so that as his much-loved children, we can trust him. We can seek to do what David says as he starts out this psalm. I will bless the Lord at all times. As we were discussing this, even this morning, we became aware that if we're going to bless the Lord at all times, we need to prepare ourselves as a foundation of faith in who God is. So that when something comes that hits us hard, we can still praise the Lord in that hard time because we've developed a strong foundation of knowing who he is and of his heart. It's a beautiful song that's out there that says, when I don't understand, when I can't see his plan, I can trust his heart for us. Well, I could take the whole time just to develop verse 1 because it's been mulling over in my mind for literally years. The first two words clearly indicate to us that praising God is a matter of choice in our mind with our will. I will. Not I feel like, but I choose to. I will. As an act of my will, I choose to bless the Lord at all times. I choose to praise him when life is hard. I choose to praise him when I don't understand why he did what he did or why this has to happen to me. But I will still praise him at all times. And when life is good, I will continue to praise him. When you read the Psalms, do you read what it says before verse 1? Well, you need to with Psalm 34. Look at what it says. Of David, that it means it's a psalm of David, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. If you have a, a Bible with little notes, it will tell you and direct you to 1 Samuel 21. This is the time in David's life when Saul is hunting him down to kill him. David chooses to escape and he goes to Gath. Now, initially that might not strike you as strange, but let me tell you that before 1 Samuel 21, back in chapter 18, David met a uh, a man from Gath, a rather tall man, a rather amazing soldier by the name of Goliath, whom David killed. So escaping to Gath from Saul is like going from the frying pan into the fire, if you ask me. These people knew who David was. They knew that the Israelites had sung a song about Saul killing his thousands and David his ten thousands. And they're like, what are we standing around waiting for? Let's get rid of this guy. So what does David do? 
He pretends to be insane. 1 Samuel 21 describes how he clawed the door of the gate to the city with his fingernails. He got the chills from thinking about it. And he let his spit from his mouth, instead of swallowing it, he let it run down his beard. And the king says, why are you having this insane man in my presence? Get him out of here. Instead of killing him. So David flees Gath and he ends up in the cave of Adullam. It is in that context. If you can grasp how bad things are for David when he sits down and writes, I will praise the Lord at all times. His praise will constantly be on my lips. How can we do that? What are the reasons why we would choose as an act of our will to do these kinds of things Well, I think that the psalmist gives us some very good reasons why we should feel confident and able to praise God at all times. First of all, because he is sovereign and his will is perfect. He understands everything that's going on. And verse 15 says, The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Over the years of my ministry, over since 1969, I've had the opportunity to plan out my week as a solo pastor and and plan to go visit this person who's home and, and sometimes even in a bed and can't move. And I go there to encourage them. And then I go home encouraged by them. How is it that people in extreme difficulties on beds of illness who are suffering and hurting can praise God? Well, my wife started reading this book. She said, you gotta, you got to hear this um, from, the, from this lady. Her name is Jan Hatmaker. And uh, I said, oh, that, that just fits in my sermon. you got to let me borrow your book. Here's the deal. Whatever this Psalm 34 means, it's got to mean the same thing for everybody in the world. Listen. There's a biblical benchmark I now use. I, we will refer to this criteria for every hard question, big idea, topic, assessment of our own obedience, every should or should not, and will or will not we ascribe to God, every theological soundbite. Here's the benchmark. If it isn't also true for a poor, single Christian mom in Haiti, It isn't true. In other words, too many times 
when we read the Word of God here in the Americas, we think about life for us. And it hit me over and over again as I'm reading through this in the various translations. This has got to work for people who are living in extreme poverty as much as it does for Americans who are living in extreme prosperity. If it doesn't have the answer for both, then we don't have the right answer yet. But the answer for both is because God is sovereign. He does know what's going on. He does understand. And he has a will for everyone. Sometimes it's hidden. Sometimes it's revealed in the word. But because he is in control, we can trust him. We can praise him. We can encourage others to praise him with us, as verse 3 says, to magnify the Lord with me and exalt his name together. Some of you have experienced the profound grief of losing a loved one. God's presence in that time is really, really amazing. As a pastor, I've heard lots of people say it. I don't know how people go through this if they don't know Jesus. He does comfort the brokenhearted. He does minister to those who are crushed in their spirits. It's a hard time to praise God. And I flunked the test, probably initially on, standing in the shower after Beth died. And I looked up and I said, God, this really stinks. And he probably said, yeah, I know. But I do know what's best. And so we press on. It's important for us to know that our Heavenly Father is always watching and always listening. We don't have to get God's attention and say, do you see what's happened here? The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, his ears toward their cry. We need to claim that. He knows more about you and what you're going through than you do. He knows more about you and what you're going through than you do. He not only sees the big picture, he sees the past, present, and future as what's going to bring him the greatest glory in our lives. He knows the numbers of hair on your head, do you? I mean, that's really insignificant, isn't it? And yet, isn't it amazing? He knows the names of all the stars. <laughs> I really thought last week we were going to see some Hubble telescope pictures of, of those galaxies out there. That, If you haven't ever done it, you really should. See how absolutely glorious and beautiful that stuff is out there that you can see once you get beyond our atmosphere. This God who knows all of this says, cast all your cares upon me because I care about you. 
this God who is sovereign over all. In Hebrews 13, 5, quoting Joshua 1, 5 says, I will never leave you or forsake you. It doesn't matter what you're going through. What has happened, what is happening, what will happen, God is going to be there. So, frankly, as I was thinking through this psalm, I'm thinking about the objections. If God is everything that this book says God is, then why doesn't he stop the tsunamis? Why doesn't he stop the floods? Why doesn't he stop the tornadoes? I don't know. But that doesn't stop me from trusting him, from praising him, because I know that he understands that he uses these things to bring special comfort when people need it. A peace that passes understanding, you can't describe it, but what a wonderful feeling it is when you get it. And you know it came from him. So, did God send you here this morning to be reminded that he knows what's happening in your life right now? That if you're his child, his purpose and plan for you is to work all these things so that you conform to the image of his son. That you will be like Christ. You don't have to understand why. In fact, you probably wouldn't matter anyhow if he did tell you. It wouldn't change it. He just asks you to believe. The second reason why I think it's possible for us to praise God at all times is because of this God who hears our prayers. David uses this expression in four verses. In verse 4, he says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. I want to talk about that last phrase in just a minute. Verse 6, he says, This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. Verse 15, Again, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, his ears toward their cry. And verse 17, when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. Someone said rather, I think, simplistically, God answers prayers three ways. Yes, no, and wait. Well, let's, let's look at Paul. Paul says in, in his letter to the Corinthians, I prayed and, and asked God three times, please remove this thorn in the flesh from me. And God said, no. Well, but, but Psalm 34 says that if you ask God, if you, if you seek the Lord, he'll deliver you from your troubles. So the question then is, did God deliver Saul from this problem? And the answer is yes. He did not remove the thorn in the flesh, but he delivered him in his response to the prayer when he said, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. 
For my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul's response to that was, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Paul got delivered, not from the thorn in the flesh, but he got victory over the thorn in the flesh. So that when, as the rest of his journeys continued, he could say to us today, for the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Life is different for believers today in our culture. We're not on the majority side anymore, it seems. So, can we experience God's grace so that we can say with Paul, His grace is sufficient for me. We pray for our loved ones. We want God to heal them when they're sick. We want to be able to spend time with them for a long time to come. We lift them up and we ask for God to intervene in the situation. And God answers the prayer. A lot of times not the way we wanted the healing to happen. And he calls them home. Or he brings healing. And over those 40 plus years, I could tell you some stories of healing that would give you goosebumps. Miraculous answers to prayer. But most of the time, God said no, but there was still a greater miracle in the fact that he called them home. And that healing was in the response of my brothers and sisters when they heard no and didn't understand why. In her book, Affliction, I think it was, Edith Schaefer had this rather crudely drawn diagram. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but here is box A, and there's squiggles and circles and boxes and, and, and all kinds of little, like doodling in box A. And just to make the illustration perfect, they copied box A and made another box and called it box B. And the sovereign God of the universe healed everybody of all the diverse illnesses in box A and didn't heal anybody in box B. Same illnesses, different people, different response. And she says, his sovereign will was done in every case. Can you affirm that in your heart today? Do we stop praying when God says no? 
David prayed in verse 4 that the Lord would deliver him from all his fears. Did God deliver David from what he was afraid about? No, he just delivered God from fear about what he was fearful about. It says in verse 5 that those who look to God are radiant. Their faces shall never be ashamed. How do you respond when life is hard? What do you say? What do you do? Will his praises continually be in your mouth? Look at verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord will lack no good thing. Can you read that verse to that single mom in Haiti? Because what you say to her in her poverty is the same thing you need to say to someone who's living out on the coast in their $3 million mansion. The Lord is good. And those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. So the question obviously begs here is, who gets to decide what's good? <laughs> I told that to Pastor Rick yesterday on the phone when he called to make sure everything was okay for today. And, and I was telling him, that, you know, it's important for me that God determines what's good, not me. And he reminded me of an illustration of this, and I thank him for it because it's just so perfect for this. Corey Tenboom in her book, The Hiding Place, describes that life. Maybe you've read it. Though this will be a reminder to you if you didn't read it. The barracks where she was crammed with all these women in the concentration camp was infested with fleas. It was a degrading, horrible, horrible place to be stuck. One of the things I remember her saying is that God's love is so deep that there's no pit so deep that his love is not deeper still. But Pastor Rick reminded me that these fleas that were so <clears throat> undesirable was actually a good thing because, you see, the soldiers outside the barracks didn't want to have anything to do with what was going on inside the barracks. They were able to have Bible study they were able to actually see women come to faith in Jesus Christ because of the fleas' presence. Do you have any fleas kind of things in your life where you look at it and you say, how could this possibly be described as good? And then God shows you how he's using what you're going through to bring glory to his name. Sometimes we don't see that for a while. Sometimes we don't see it in our lifetime. But always know that God knows what's good for you. 
We studied in the life of Moses about the children of Israel following the cloud and the pillar of fire so they knew exactly where to go. And as they're going, they come to this place and they're dying of thirst in the desert and there's no water. God, why would you purposefully lead the children of Israel to a place where they're dying of thirst? That doesn't make sense. Don't you know where there's water? Oh, but this place is a good place for them to be. Because while they're here, they're going to experience the power of God to bring water out of a rock. So was the thirsty situation good for them? Sure, because they got to know the power and provision of God. Verse 4 describes life situation fears. Verses 6 and 17 describe life situations called troubles. Verse 18 talks about people who are crushed in their spirit, who are brokenhearted. Verse 19 talks about afflictions of the righteous. In other words, I want to say that Psalm 34 does not sugarcoat life. The Bible is not saying if you'll become a Christian, everything will be perfect from then on. Because it's not. It's full of afflictions and troubles and fears and problems. But God is always there. I had the opportunity while I was... uh, pastoring in Rockford, Illinois, to take a team of people down to a place called Anapra. You probably have heard of Juarez. Well, Anapra is the city that was built on the dump from Juarez. People in Anapra live in pallet homes. When the dump truck dumps the pallets, they grab the pallets And they build their homes out of them. I saw one guy in a two pallet wide, one pallet deep, five pallet high. That was his shade for the day. He had like some kind of a makeup chair sitting in it. And he would always be in the shade. And he thought that was cool because he was in the shade. Saw one family down the street from the church where we stayed. Their gate was an inner spring mattress with all the fabric taken off. They used other things from the dump to make the rest of the fence to keep the chickens in the yard. The kids were outside in the street playing baseball with a one-by-three, a one-by-three board and a wad of duct tape for a ball. And so this American is looking at these people and they are having a ball. They are so happy. And I'm like, do you know what you don't have? You know what the answer came back to me in my heart? Do you know what you don't have? How can we say that there's no lack So maybe the problem is really our prosperity. Even when David had the opportunity to make things better for himself, 
God put Saul in a cave to go to the bathroom and, and David was hiding deep in that cave and his friend says, here's your opportunity. Saul's defenseless. Go kill him. And David says, I will not raise my hand to the Lord's anointed. God is sovereign. He's in charge. Yes, he anointed me to be king, but it's not the time. Christians do suffer. And God is the deliverer. Verse 22 says that he redeems the life of his servants. That was a reminder to me that the 70, 80, 90 years here on earth, it's not permanent. It's not our final destination. And our ultimate deliverance is in heaven with God. So the question then becomes, can we say with Paul over in Romans 8, I consider the sufferings of this present time not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. The challenge this morning is, will you deliberately choose today to focus on praising the Lord at all times? The New Living Translation says in verse 3, Come, let us tell of the Lord's greatness. Let us exalt his name together. And if you've begun to struggle and wrestle with this text, Adam has us singing a song in conclusion that I hope you will sing from your heart because part of the song says, he gives and takes away. But my heart will still say, blessed be the name of the Lord. If you're facing some real struggles right now, I invite you, as I give you a minute, to talk to him about it. He already knows everything about it but he asks you to cast that burden on him. Verse 8 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. I pray that you would be able to take refuge in him this morning. Will you trust God with his plans and purposes to be worked out in your life for his glory? Even if you don't understand or why this is happening right now? So I'm going to give you a minute to pray and then I'm going to pray. Let's bow before the Lord. And so, Lord, may the God of all comfort guard and keep our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.